had no idea how I was going to preach at Bencham and get down to the prison in time to start on time. I had no idea how that was going to happen, and I was really very, very worried. And then a week beforehand, um, a week beforehand, George phoned up and asked if he could come and stay for the weekend. And I says, George, how do you fancy preaching on the Lord's Day morning? And he says, I would happily do that. And to be honest with you folks, that was a wonderful providence of God for me, a wonderful provision of God for me. It enabled me to, um, to go down to the jail and, and you get the benefit of George's preaching. So I'm going to preach on these verses tonight. Uh, Romans 5, verses 12 to 21. I want to read them to you, first of all. But uh, as you know, on a Thursday night, we're starting series. Derusi's doing the Feast of Jehovah. Um, Sid's doing the Seven Churches. I forget what Andrew's doing now. Can you remember what Andrew's doing? Andrew, what are you doing this in this Thursday night? The Messiah in the Old Testament. Well, it's my burden to do the person and work of the Holy Spirit. That's what I, I want to spend a lot of weeks taking real care and being as clear as I can about what the Bible teaches about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. For a lot of reasons. One is, it's a subject of supreme importance. Absolutely supreme importance because we live in the day of the special activity of the Holy Spirit. No question about that. He works in a way that he's never worked before and does things that he's never done before. And we need to be clear about that, that we live in a very special time. So it's important. And without the work of the Spirit, uh, you know, not by power, not by might, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord, that's Zechariah 4, but it's, it's applicable here. But the personal work of the Holy Spirit, it's not just a subject of immense importance. It's a subject of tremendous confusion. There is tremendous error and confusion taught about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I won't go into it now, but a lot of it is to do with people not understanding the whole context of the Bible. You can take any verse of the Bible, yank it out and make it say whatever you want it to say, can you, really? And if you want to learn about something, you want to be learning for somebody not that I'm not claiming this for myself, folks, but you don't want somebody who's just knows a little bit about a subject to teach you about the subject. You want somebody who's got a grasp of the subject to do it. So we're going to take a big look at the Bible and see how the Holy Spirit works from beginning to end and how he works and the different ways he works. And so that's I'm going to take up the personal work of the Holy Spirit because I think it's important and I think we need to get it right in a day of great confusion. But that's not the subject tonight. Subject tonight is Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 to 21. So, so let's read the passage together. Um, Deruzzi finished in verse 11. And verse 11 is really the end of a long discussion about what the gospel is. And Romans 5.11 really brings the big finish to the gospel, if you like. It says this, not only so... We joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. And it's like, finally he's arrived at the big message. We joy in God because we have received through the Lord Jesus Christ the atonement. And he now gives a little bit of background information as to why that's so important. And he says this, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, 
And death by sin, we know who that is, don't we? That's Adam. So death has passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And then from verse 13 to the end of verse 17, if it's in your Bible, it'll be in brackets. If it's in your Bible in brackets, and I don't know much about English grammar, but I do know that when you put something in brackets, it's an explanation that you could actually read the sentence without it and it would still make sense. So let's read the sentence without the brackets first to see what he was really trying to say. Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, verse 18, therefore as by the offence of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto the justification of life, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Basically what he's doing is he's comparing what happened with Adam and its effects and what's happened with Christ and the effects. So these verses are verses to contrast what happened when Adam sinned and what happened when Christ died. So that, that, that's the idea. And that's what those... So the, the explanation in the middle from verse 12 to 17 is a little more detail about that. That's what it says. So let's read those verses. For... Un Till the law, and we know what the law is. We've been thinking about the law for five chapters. The law is the Ten Commandments, the moral law given on Mount Sinai to Moses, right? So until the law, the Ten Commandments came at Mount Sinai, if you like, sin was in the world. Okay, so sin reigned from Adam right till now. But when the, God gave the law, sin was already in the world. It wasn't just because the law was given that sin came. It was already there. And it says this. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. In other words, not everybody committed the same sin as Adam did. Right? Adam took disobeyed. He took the fruit of the tree and... He, he only did it once, and as far as we know, he's the only person that ever did it, right? But everybody else did other things, but it was still sin the same. But look at this, look what it says. But not as the offence, so also is the free gift. Now that word free gift, it takes you back to chapter, uh, chapter 3. Oh, no, it takes, you'll see it again in chapter 6. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Okay? So he's saying, not as the offence, so also is the free gift. So the gift of God, eternal life, is not like the offence that Adam committed. For if through the offence of one, many be dead, okay, that sin entered into the world and death have sinned because death has passed upon all men. So for if through the offence of one, that's Adam, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. So, just like Adam brings death, Christ brings what? The free gift of eternal life. So there's, there's comparisons and there's contract, contrasts. There's things that are similar, but things that are so different, and we're going to see what they are. 
Verse number 16. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gifts is of many offences unto justification. So you see, Adam's act brought death and judgment. Christ's act brought righteousness and salvation. One act, one brought death, one brought life. For if by one man's offence death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offence of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one or the accomplished act of righteousness by one person, Christ, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many married sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound or be enhanced or become magnified. So the law didn't create sin. The law just focused people's mind on sin. And when the sin appeared, when the law appeared, sin in another place it says sin became exceeding sinful. It's like, I don't know, yeah, I do a lot of driving and I'm driving down the road and I have no idea what speed I'm doing. No idea. Okay, no idea. I'm probably listening to something. But I look in my mirror and I see the blue lights, right? And as soon as I see the blue lights, I feel guilty. And I look down at my speedometer because I'm almost certainly speeding. Because when the law appears... I have a knowledge of my, my behaviour and my sin. And that's what this is saying. It's saying the law entered that the that this, the offence might abound. So sin was present in the world, but when the Ten Commandments came, it was defined for them. People then understood what their sin was. They would have felt bad in their conscience for lying and cheating and murdering, Cain and Abel murdering and committing adultery, but suddenly God put it into words. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbour. And suddenly God put into words what they had been known in their heart all along. That's why folks in the gospel, we can tell people they're sinners, but a lot of people don't actually understand what that means. Matter of fact, I saw a tweet just this week and it was a golf tournament over in Las Vegas. And as they were leaving the Las Vegas, the golfer took a picture out his, his private jet window of the sunset. And he said this, the sun setting over Sin City. Because that's what they call Las Vegas. They call it Sin City. And people actually think sin is a good thing, don't they? So if you tell people they're a sinner, often they think, well, that's okay, I quite enjoy my sin, right? But start to talk to people about the law of God. Lies. Theft. Blasphemy. I was talking to those two boys out there. I was asking them, had they told lies? Had they used God's name in vain? And suddenly they understand what the sin is rather than just sin. Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Grace superabounded. In other words, folks, in the world of sin. The triumph, the victory, is with the gospel of God's grace. Now, sometimes we don't think that, do we? Sometimes we don't see that. But the point is this. If sin is abounding here, the only thing that will overcome it is the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's right, isn't it? It's only the grace of God that overcomes the darkness of sin. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the verses. They're not the easiest verses in the world, folks. I have to say that to you. They can be quite difficult to understand. So I'm going to try and break them down into simple bits so that we can just get the, the big message. Basically, these verses are about the great divide. What happened because of Adam? What happened because of Christ? And humanity will be divided only in one way at the day of judgment. Those that are in their natural condition in Adam and those that have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and converted and are in Christ. And so the great divide is in Adam or in Christ. And this passage explains what happened when Adam sinned and what happened when Christ died and provided salvation. So it's really the big divide and we must never the big message is the big message folks and we must never forget that right we must never get so bogged down in the minutiae of the detail that we miss the big message the big message of the book of Romans is this the gospel is wonderful that's that's what he's trying to say he's trying to say that the gospel message is absolutely wonderful it's been attacked it's been criticised but the gospel message is wonderful. I woke up, I, I, I'm a terrible sleeper at the moment. And at three o'clock in the morning, this morning, I was thinking about this and thinking about the book of Romans. If you go to books like Ephesians and Colossians and Hebrews, these writers, their big message is, Christ is wonderful. Christ is wonderful. Isn't that right? That's what they're saying. Christ is wonderful. Now, in the book of Romans, uh, Paul will say Christ is wonderful. And he'll say the whole point is to glorify Christ. Uh, Romans 11 at the end, for of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So Paul's not saying the big thing is not Christ and Christ is wonderful. But the book's really saying the gospel is wonderful. That's what it's saying. And it's helping us really understand that the, the gospel is one. And he's saying how wonderful the gospel is. And he's really, really excited about how wonderful the gospel is. And he's saying, listen, you Christians have got to understand the gospel correctly. And you've got to preach it correctly. Romans 10. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they believe without a preacher? How shall they preach except they by said, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And we've got to get the gospel. If we get the gospel wrong, folks, as so many people do, and I, please, I don't want to be critical, you know I don't, but there is so much false gospel in the world today, Right? If we get the gospel wrong, we lead people down a path of deception and we lull them into a false sense of security that makes them go through their life thinking they're okay and then on the day of judgment they'll find themselves damned to hell because the gospel they received was wrong and the responsibility will lie in the person that brought them the gospel to that. So, so on Tuesday, 
I took the team challenge people. Some of them have been here at the gospel meeting. I took them into the prison to speak to the men, and I was listening to their gospel. Their gospel was fantastic. Their gospel was fantastic. So Paul's saying, listen, I'm going to take a long time to explain the importance of the gospel and why it's important to get the gospel right. And this is it. It's, the gospel's a big deal because of its effects. That's one of the things. The effects. The effects of Adam, we'll see in this passage, were dreadful. It was death. And it was condemnation. And it was eternal judgment. But the effects of the gospel are wonderful. Wonderful. I mean, think of some of them. We've had Romans uh, chapter 1 and verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the power of God, uh, the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believes. The gospel is the only message that can give salvation and bring salvation to men and women. That in itself is just wonderful, isn't it? We look at people in darkness, wandering around aimlessly on the road to destruction, and they all need salvation. And where's the salvation coming from? The gospel. The gospel. And if the gospel only gets you out of hell and into heaven, it doesn't. It doesn't. But if it does... That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing. But the, the gospel is not only just wonderful in its effects because of salvation. In this passage, we're going to learn that it's wonderful in its effects because it provides justification. It doesn't just pluck us out the burning fire and save us from its punishment. It makes us righteous before God. And we've had that at the beginning of Romans 5. Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the gospel is wonderful because it doesn't just provide salvation, uh, it provides justification. It makes us right in the sight of God. We're going to learn, and, and Sid gave us a, a few weeks ago, the, the gospel is the message of victory by the Holy Spirit for every Christian. Isn't that right? I was thinking about that at 3 o'clock this morning. Listen to this. And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow that he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, those he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, he justified, and whom he justified, he glorified. What shall they we say to these things? If God before us, who can be against us? And then he says this a little further down. He says, in all things, we are more than conquerors through Christ, through him that loved us. The gospel's wonderful, isn't it? provides salvation, justification. It provides victory in our life. We would just be crushed by the life of sin and wickedness if it wasn't for the gospel. Isn't that right? But the gospel also spurs us on to what's called sanctification. Isn't it? The gospel. Listen to Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of the mind, that ye might prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So me and you, through the gospel, are not just saved and justified, not just given victory. We're given lives that now can glorify God by devoting our life to him. The gospel's a big deal. 
It's a real big, and that's what Paul's saying. It's a real, real big deal. It's a big deal in its effects, but it's a big deal in its extent. Listen to this. It's the power of God to everyone that believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. In other words, the gospel can save anybody. Because the big argument in this passage was between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews were claiming it was their gospel. The Gentiles thought, well, it's for our gospel. And they were fighting about whose gospel it was. And Paul said, listen, I don't care who you are. The gospel's for you. And we don't have a gospel for we don't have a gospel for Africans, and we don't have a gospel for Jews, and we don't have a gospel for Irish, and we don't have a gospel for English. We don't have a gospel. We have the gospel's the gospel, isn't it, for everybody? And so, what we're going to see now in this little passage, and I want just to divide this passage that we've got. We won't have time to go through it in all detail, and there's some diff- bits that are difficult. I want to divide it into three. I want to show you that the gospel is a big deal. I should have shown you that. It's a big deal because of salvation, justification, victory, and sanctification at its extent. But now I'm going to just say a few things and then we're finished. Number one, look at the characters in this passage. There's two characters. Adam and Christ. And if you look at it, Adam was the first man. And he had innocent manhood. He was created totally innocent, right? We can't imagine total innocence. We can't. We look at a baby and we think the baby's an innocent baby. But it's no long till it's screaming to get what it wants and complaining when it doesn't get what it wants. Isn't that right? Because through Adam came sin. And because of sin came death. So Adam was... He was innocent, but he became fallen. Isn't that right? An innocent man became a fallen man. So there's innocent manhood. We're not innocent. But we are born as fallen. Isn't that right? We are fallen manhood because of Adam's sin. Sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death has passed upon all men for all have sinned. And then that whole big explanation of what happened when, when Adam sinned, we're what happened when Adam sinned? We are. And deaths and disease is what happened when Adam sinned. So there's innocent manhood. There's fallen manhood. But you know what? There's perfect manhood. Isn't there? There's only one that had perfect manhood. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't born of Adam's line, if you understand what I mean by that. You know, he was born of Mary, but he didn't have an earthly father. God was his father, isn't that right? So, so here's what, uh, read the, these verses again and keep this in your mind. First Corinthians 15. For as in Adam all die, and Christ shall all be made alive. Now that means everyone who's in Adam will die, and everyone who's in Christ will have life. And so the characters here are twofold. Adam and Christ. What comes as a result of Adam's fall and what comes as a result of Christ's work. There was a big thing on the BBC News over overnight and actually on the, the Newcastle University is one of the centres for genetic engineering. Right, okay? And there's certain 
diseases that come because there's a, a fault in your genes. Don't ask me to explain it, but I know it. And they've now got two things called gene silencing and gene editing. And what's happened is the genetics are wrong. And so it's passed down and it's passed down and it's passed down and it's passed down and it's passed down. And, passed down. and they don't treat the symptoms. They have to treat the, the, the cause. They have to treat the cause. The cause is a genetic defect. Humanity has a spiritually genetic defect. We all descend from Adam, so we've all got sin in our life. It all manifests in sins in our life, and we've got a spiritually genetic defect. And because of that, death reigns to, you know, to condemnation. That's in these passages here. And it's because we're born in Adam. But in Christ, things are totally different. So, so you need to get in your mind when you read this passage that there's two characters, Adam and Christ. Then you have to understand the consequences. Okay? Adam, disobedience. Right? Actions always have consequences. And in verse 19 it says this. It says, Therefore, uh, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Do you think Adam had any idea at all what the consequences would be of his disobedience to God? Well, Eve had been deceived. We know that. Isn't that what the Bible says? Eve was deceived, but Adam disobeyed. Adam disobeyed. And he had been told what the consequences were, but he minimised the seriousness of the consequences of sin, didn't he? And the devil had said, ah, you'll be like God. God knows this. You know, doubt God's word. And he had no idea that billions of people would be affected by what he did. The consequences. Well, for by his one man, sin entered the world and death by sin. So death has passed upon all men. For the all have sinned. And it doesn't matter whether you are born before the law, before Christ, after Christ, sins right through the whole world. And nobody, nobody sinned the same way that Adam sinned, but we all sinned, didn't we? And sin was in the world before the law was given. Even though it wasn't wrecked, it was, when this, I tried to explain as I was reading, when the law came, it just focused people's mind on what the definition of sin was. They already knew it was there, but suddenly the law said, Put the finger in the spot. Isn't that right? Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit, don't commit adultery. Don't blaspheme. Don't covet. Have no other gods before me. And it's like going to the dentist and you think your teeth are great until the dentist puts that wee sharp needle right on the point where you go, oh! And she just, she just puts the needle right on the point where you, you've suddenly discovered you've got a defect and a fault and she just touched it and you, you, it's a sense. That's what God was doing with the law. He wasn't then saying, okay, you've not sinned up until now, but now you have sinned. He was just saying, look, I'm just putting my finger on it. Here's, here's what it is. And so the consequences of Adam's disobedience was sin entered into the world, judgment because of sin, condemnation at the judgment, and so death has passed upon all men. The sentence of death is on every single human being in the world, irrespective of whether they've heard the gospel or not. People are not condemned because they didn't hear the gospel. People are not condemned because they rejected Christ. Now, now, rejecting Christ is a terrible sin. Don't misunderstand me. To hear the gospel and to reject Christ is a terrible thing. 
and makes people all the more responsible. But people are not condemned because they didn't hear the gospel. They're condemned because they've disobeyed God and sinned. And they know they've sinned. And they take delight in their sin or they sear their, their conscience against their sin, but they know they've sinned. And that's why God is rightfully judging and condemning people at the judgment seat because they've sinned. They've sinned. And they've sinned because they're of Adam's race. We're genetically defective, spiritually. But in Christ Jesus, our Lord, things are very, very different. Christ was not disobedient. Christ was obedient. Isn't that right? The righteous act of one man. We could talk about that all night. I would love to talk about all night about what that actually meant. But, but, But let's just think it in a broad sense. Christ was totally righteous in every way. Every way. And when he went to the cross, listen to how Philippians describes the cross. He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That doesn't mean death demanded his obedience. Death didn't demand obedience of Christ. Christ was obedient to God right up to the point where he was prepared to die. That's what it means. He was obedient up to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so through Christ, it's not disobedience. It's obedience. Through Christ, it's not condemnation. It's a free gift. Did you, did you hear that as we went down? Through Christ, it's not judgment. It's the grace of God. And through Christ, it's righteousness rather than condemnation. So there's two characters and there's two consequences. And then there's contrasts. Death and life. That's a simple consequence. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't just mean hell and heaven. It does mean hell and heaven, but it means a lot more than that. A whole lot more than that. Folks, the gospel, things couldn't be more different than they are when you trust in Christ and receive the gospel. They couldn't be more different. They couldn't be more different from the rest of humanity. We're not different from the world because we're better than them. We're different from the world because God's worked by his grace in our life and we've received the gospel. It magnifies God's goodness that we're different from humanity. It doesn't magnify us. We couldn't be more different from the rest of humanity. We couldn't be more different from what we were before we were saved. Isn't that right? Couldn't be more different. Or we shouldn't be more different. You know, the contrast should be so great. But I was saved when I was young. No drugs, no alcohol, no immorality, no all that stuff. I knew how to sin. I knew how to sin. But you know what the gospel's done for me? It saved me from the man I would have been if Christ hadn't saved me. I have no idea where I would have been if Christ hadn't saved me. I'd probably been dead already. You see... We're different from humanity. We're different from what we And we're different from what we would have been if God hadn't saved us. The gospel, we couldn't be more different. The gospel is wonderful. Christ's wonderful. We need to get more excited about it. We really do. You know, I was listening to 
the health secretary yesterday, and you probably remember when the vaccines were announced. Remember when the vaccines were announced for COVID-19? What a big deal that was. And it was a big deal, folks, and we're so thankful for that. I don't misunderstand. But think of the excitement when vaccine for COVID-19 was discovered and available. Yesterday, they've got now two antivirals that you can get if you get COVID. Big excitement about antivirals and big excitement about immunisation. Big excitement about the gospel, folks. Do you not think so? If only we could get excited about what God has done in Christ for us and what God can do in Christ for anybody. Because if he can do it for us, he can do it for anybody. And this little passage, I've tried to pick out the main lessons. It just says the gospel's a big deal. And it makes a different, big difference. And I think we should be more excited about the gospel than we are. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your kindness and grateful for this passage that points us again to the difference that Christ makes through the gospel. And we pray that we might learn to appreciate that more. We're grateful to be together. We ask now to take us home in safety in the Lord's name. Amen. Forgive me, folks. Too, too much time. <laughs>